0: Father, thank you for today. I, I, I thank you that we can still meet in a country, worship you openly and publicly. And Lord, that's our desire. We can worship you privately, Lord, but we are not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of you. And Lord, we want to stand and be a light, a witness in this community you put us in. And we thank you for those people that uh, have been in the different services, being that it's Veterans Day and, and we want to give honor to them. But Lord, I mean, not just be in a day, but every day. That when we see them, we remember what they have done, that we have this freedom. So Lord, as we now look and turn to your word, we ask that you would speak Speak to our hearts. Grant us the, the grace if there's an area that we need to repent and turn back to you. Help us to, to be the people that you would have us be. And all God's people said, Amen. When we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Now please understand, it's not any something magical in that name that we Tag it on the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name, now my prayers are answered. But what it means to pray in the name of Jesus that we pray in that attitude. We ask things that bring glory to God. We do not ask for things that will rob Him of glory, that will sidetrack us, that will cause us to focus upon the flesh. And prayer itself should not be confined to a beginning... In an end, the Bible is very clear that we are to pray without ceasing. That we should have that attitude of prayer as we go through life, prayerfully walking through this life, serving and loving the Lord. And sometimes we try to confine it to a moment. And it's true we have appointed times when maybe when you get up and when you go to bed and maybe at meals and and it may be different for you. That's fine but we're to live a life of prayer. That means, again, that we're speaking unto him, but it means even more than that. Listening to what he says to us. Sometimes it means for me in my life, I can't speak for you. It means I have to shut my mouth. He knows, even before I open my mouth, what it is I'm going to ask. But He wants to hear. And He wants me to listen. Now what's interesting is that, that we, we know the Word of God and prayer go together. You, you cannot separate the two because the Word of God is the Word of God. He speaks through the Word. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. The Word that we know became flesh. The prophet Samuel told the people of Israel, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord and cease to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Again and again in the Scripture, you're going to see that the The Word of God and prayer are linked, connected. You cannot separate them. It's the life that we are to live. Again, Peter said in Acts 6.4, but we, that is the apostles he's talking about there, will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Sadly, sometimes some people in the ministry see themselves above serving. Let me just make a point here. Serving is, you know, this is a position. It's a calling. It's what I do as a pastor. Watch over that flock of God and pray and teach. But really the first ministry is being example. A man of the word. A man of prayer. And never asking anyone to do anything if I'm not willing to do it. Boy, that goes a long ways. If somebody asks you to do something... And you see them doing it. It's not below them. And we too need to be example to this world. We are to be witnesses and lights. And and these are things that we learn in the word. We, We see it when we see that living word, Jesus Christ, when we look in the Bible. Again, Jesus prayed for his disciples. And just as Paul prayed for the Thessalonian Christians, that their faith would not fail. Sometimes, do you feel like your faith, you've failed? I have. There's moments, lapses in time when I begin to freak out. And then I pause, and I remember that he's still on the throne. Hang on to that thought, because we're going to connect that thought as we go through our text today. Well, we see here again Paul and his prayers. We've been looking at really a, a pastor's heart. He's a man of the word. He's a man of prayer. Well, let's read our text together. First Thessalonians 3, verses 9 through 13. Paul begins, For what thanks we can render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we might see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the saints. I love this picture because Paul begins rhetorically with this this statement. How how can we thank God enough? Have you ever been in that place where where God has just overwhelmingly done exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever, ever imagine? And this is this is Paul where he's at. He's just amazed. See, he was taken away. We talked about felt abandoned and abandoned these young believers. But yet these young believers stood firm, steadfast in that is the persecution. And he was afraid, afraid that they they might think that wow, well, they've lost favor with God or or something, and yet. They were firm, and he's just rejoicing at what God has done in their life. And that is so exciting. In fact, I'm reminded when I was thinking about this in 3 John, which is only one chapter, by the way, in verse 4. And this is what John says. He says, I have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. Moms, dads, Isn't that probably the greatest joy that you could ever, ever experience is see your kids walking in the Lord, serving the Lord? And some of us have had our kids kind of drift here or there. But then, the right moment, the right time, God brings them right back in line. And we're like Paul. Amazed, how can I thank God enough? Well, God is faithful. God certainly is an awesome God. The apostle James once wrote that we should count it all a joy when we face trials of many various kinds. Because. Because what? Because they produce long-lasting, persistent faith, and ministry. Now we should never go searching for pain and suffering and trials. But when we experience it, we should rejoice. Because God's in the throne and God's using these circumstances. And certainly this was true in the life of the Thessalonians. It's so easy for a moment to forget that God's still in control when things don't go our way. That's usually the problem. They don't go the way that we anticipate and expect, but we're not all wise as our God is all wise, all knowing. As much as Paul was moved by emotions, though, he remained clear in his thinking, purposeful in his decision process. He never allowed again himself to be ruled by his intellect or his emotions or his will. He made deeper decisions, decisions that were spiritual, that were ruled by the Holy Spirit. And this would be his prayer for the Thessalonians that they would be spirit led. In fact, he says, now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, direct your way. And that should be our prayer for one another, that God would direct those steps, that God would use those steps in your life. Now, those steps are not always what you and I ever thought they would should be. Paul knew, though, what would lie ahead for, if you remember, the church of Thessalonica. He he knew the, the persecution. He knew what happened and what needed to happen, actually, in these believers. If this church was to sustain itself, now the church, not a building, but the people. And that key ingredient would be love among the believers. Love among the believers. That's opposed to disunity and factions and disagreements. They're coming. Right now, we're probably, not. I'm not talking just about today, but when everyone's here, we're we're in one of those sweet times when there's no one divisive, no one drawing attention to themselves, but everyone is focused upon Christ. But I'm going to tell you, there's a time that people will come in here and want to divide the body. They'll come and they'll have another agenda. And it's in true in every congregation, wherever they are in the world. The enemy plants people within. He, he uses weak people and, and he spurs them on to bring division. And we have to be careful. We don't succumb to that, give in to that. Well, the church needed more love, in order that they would survive these difficult times. And that's true for us. We, we, we are a loving church. In fact, when people come in and visit they say, you know, the, the people are so loving here. and it, It's so neat. But we need to, to grow in that love, grow in that knowledge. And that's what he's saying about the Thessalonians, because he knew they were loving people. But we just need to continually grow in that love. Here's an illustration of a woman who was wanting to, to find a church. She just moved in this area, and she wanted to find a church. And, and she would go to this pastor and that pastor, and, and she would ask a question. the question was always the same. Will you try to convert me every Sunday? You know, there's some churches that are trying to get people to come forward every single week. I don't want you to come forward. I want you to come to Jesus. I don't want you to be converted week after week because the moment you're born again, you are in Christ. You're not in Calvary Chapel. You're not a Baptist. You're not there. You are in Christ. So your question is, again, are are you going to try and convert me? See, what she was really asking is, is, are you going to teach me the Word of God? Are you going to feed me? Are you going to help me understand what it means to be a Christian and how I can grow in Christ Jesus and how I can bring glory to Him and how I can be used by Him? And sometimes we, we, we get caught up in this thing of trying to make notches for everyone that goes forward. And sometimes some people have gone up 20, 30 times to the altar and got saved again. Every week they're getting saved. And the fact is, the moment you're born again, you're saved. Now you need to be saved from yourself. Sanctification, that process of growing in that love and grace of Jesus Christ. They need to know how. The Bible is big, there's a lot of words, there's a lot of chapters, a lot of books. Where do I start? And that's what she needed, and she knew it. There was not a question whether the Thessalonians were saved. In fact, in in chapter one, verse four, Paul writes, "Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, is choice in you, he says, no he calls them brother. You're beloved by God. In fact, you're you're chosen. There's not a question." They're saved. In fact, in verse 7, Paul was comforted by that progress. They were growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was the fruit we saw when they were steadfast in him. In fact, in verse 9 in our text today, their faith brought him great joy. I love it to see when when you're going through a trial. Not the trial. I don't love to see you in a trial, but I, I love to see when a person's steadfast. When I see God making them faithful. And even though Paul knew they were saved, they were growing, and they were bringing great joy, really, to his life, he felt there was still something lacking. Look at verse 10 in our text today. And, and that's what he's why he's writing it. As we, night and day, keep praying most earnestly... And that we may see your face and make complete what is lacking in your faith. Is there something lacking in your faith today? I think that's a good question that each of us need to to ask. See, Paul's prayer is like a, a, a child's prayer. Don't you love children when they pray innocent? You know what they do? They cut to the chase. God, protect my mom, my, my brother, my sister, my dad. Pray like a child. Cut to the chase. Tell them what you need, what you want. When Christmas time comes and you go into a store, you know what that child wants. And you know how bad they want it. They're passionate. That's how we need to pray. Pray. Now, obviously here, we don't pray here sometimes before because we don't want to call attention to ourselves. But our private life, it should be cutting to the chase. When I'm up here, it's much different than when I pray at home because this is congregationally. This is not about me. It's about him. It's about us and him. But privately you know, in your own life. And I say, pray like a child. Now, in the original Greek, that phrase um, that is translated make complete is, is used in various contexts. Uh, for example, the, a fisherman, when they're mending their nets, they're making them complete. Or a surgeon that's setting a bone, if you had a broken bone, it's to, again, make it complete or even a politician, time of year, reconciling the, the factions, bringing them together. The fact is, our faith never, ever, in this life, reaches perfection. There's always a need for adjustment and growth. Always a need for maturity because. None of us arrive here. When we arrive, it's on the other side of eternity when God himself finishes the work in our lives. It's him that we look to. In fact, in this life, Paul writing in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he says, go from faith to faith. That's what we do. We we go from faith to faith. We're continually growing and, and, and really being led through this life. Look back in our text in verse 12, and Paul prayed that the Lord would cause you, or that is them, to increase and abound in their love. And I think that's true of all of us. We need to increase and abound in that love, and a passion in that love, and excitement in that love. Love should be exciting. Think back. I know some of us are older But remember when you were 16 years old and you had that first love and your heart pounded and you just had to be with them? That excitement. And then you got married and 46 years later or whatever it is, that love should grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love never fails. Paul realized again the Christians in Thessalonica, they were not yet what they should be, so he encouraged them to, to grow. Grow in their, their Christian lives and their walk. Grow in the Lord. He, he wanted them to be ready for the return because in every chapter in First Thessalonica, he, he's talking about, again, that return of the Lord. And I love that because you know what? If you think the Lord could be coming today, your life is going to be different. It will show and reflect in the way that you live. And the world needs to see that we believe that He's coming and He's coming again. But this is really true of all of us. None of us have yet become all that God would have us be. That should be our prayer, Lord help me, help this church, this congregation, not just this congregation, all the congregations, that we would become everything that you would have us be, that we truly would be a light and heal, and the gospel would go out all over this island and to the other islands. Gosh, what if we did pray like that? We prayed like a child. We cut to the chase we were passionate, we were sincere, and God really knew we wanted it. And you know, that's God's will. That's a done deal if we did. And if we're not praying that, we're still lacking what God would have us be in this life. In the same sense, we need to be complete in what's lacking in our own lives. I think for a moment of Abraham, he's a a great illustration. God called him in the land of Ur, of Chaldees, if you remember, and he kind of went halfway, and he stops, camps, lives for a while, his father dies, and he moves on, and eventually he comes into the land of Canaan. The land that it was promised he would lead them to. It would be a land of, of milk and honey. And there's a famine in the land. Oh, by the way, that's a trial, that's a test. Guess what? You probably noticed Abraham failed the test, he went to Egypt. Egypt's a picture of the world. He went back to the ways of the world. And that could be true just in our own relationships, in our workplaces. We're just like Abraham. God leads us to these places. See, each step of the way that God was leading, God brought him to the, to the place that he would come to trust and rest and grow in his faith in the Lord. It was. There was a reason God had knew there would be a famine. Orchestrated. However, he did. He's God. That's his concern. But Abraham was to come here, and he was to just simply trust God that would provide his needs when it didn't look like God could provide his needs. So, when you're going through those difficult times, or the Thessalonians that were going through those difficult times. God was leading them to grow them, to stretch them, to bring them to that place, to help them build in their life that was lacking in their life. See, faith is a muscle. It gets stronger with use. And God was working in Abraham Well, he's working in you and he's working again in the Thessalonians back then. That's why the world, he allows it to be that way that we would stretch, we would trust, we would walk through in the power of the Spirit. Abraham, oh, he had a lot of problems, if you remember. He had problems with Lot. Not Lot himself, but Lot's workers that he had to learn to deal with and to trust God. Not only there, he had problems with his wife and his handmaid Hagar. The ultimate one was the test of giving his own son. And God loved his son more than Abraham could ever love him, and it would become a picture of God giving his own son for you and me. See, faith that is not tested cannot be trusted faith again it cannot be tested cannot be trusted i've known so many people that just brag about what men and women of faith and they lay hands on people and they talk but man when times get tough you see them fall away the profession of being a man and woman of god but in the long run they're the ones that are left on the side The Bible makes it very clear that we should have no confidence in our flesh. Ward Worsby put it this way, God tries our faith not to destroy, but to develop it. Had Abraham not learned to trust God in a famine, he would never have trusted him in other difficulties. Paul had prayed that the suffering Christians in Thessalonia might grow in their faith, and God answered that prayer, and Paul wrote in a second letter, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, Because your faith grows exceedingly. And they did. They became a a model church in in many ways. Well, there's something else I want to call your attention to. Uh, We need to learn more. We need to learn more. To to supply what is lacking in that faith, we need to learn more. We never come to a place where we completely comprehend it and know all things. No, we just don't. But the Bible is very clear. 1 Peter 2 2 says this like a newborn babe, long for that pure milk of the word so that by them they may grow in respect to salvation. See, when you're seeking the Bible, seeking to know the truth, and this is very important, especially when you are just born again, you're like that little child. You want to know, you're a sponge until someone says you're too zealous for the Lord. Ever hear somebody say that? Yeah. I remember reading this verse because I'd never read a book in my life. And I read it again, like newborn babies long for that pure milk of the Word. Well, Lord, I just don't read. God, you've got to give me the desire. See, that's how a child prays. And I begin to listen to the Bible, dramatize Bible again and again and again. I know there's some in this fellowship that do that as well. And even to this day, I, I pull out my phone and I listen to it at certain points. I read it and I listen to it. Read it and listen to it. That was God's will. And, and, and God began to give me a desire to read. As a pastor, you have to read a lot. And he puts us in these places. See, I needed to crave that spiritual milk. The Christian develops his desire for the truth God's word by, remembering God is the source of life. Everything goes back to God. Apart from him, I can do nothing of good. I need him every hour of the day. Well, it it develops again when I begin eliminating sin in my life. And guess what? I'm still doing that today. Anyone else still doing that? I think every hand should go up because he's revealing a little bit about maybe our thought life, our motives, or something still is recessed that has just come to the surface, and now's the time, and he's prepared us for it. It's admitting our need for God's truth. Like newborn babes, we need the Word of God, and and there's a lot of Christians that just don't want to hear the Word of God, Just, just like I was, and they just stop at that point, and Uh, They think it's just enough to be saved, but God says, no, I want you to go on. I want you to continue. I want you to become everything that you can be. And isn't that a mom's heart? A father's heart for their children? Or their sister's kids? Extended family? Matthew 4, 4 reminds me but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. I need the Word of God more than I need food. I think I've got it backwards. And I think most of it have backwards. We need that physical food. I need the spiritual food, because then that it helps me find the balance in my life and I strive for balance but I'm going to tell you I haven't found balance and I don't know one person in this life that has found perfect balance in their life no matter what they think watch them and you know they haven't it means that also pursuing again spiritual growth wanting to be what God would have us be well, I want to know His Word in my mind, but, but I don't want to grow. That, that, that's fine for someone over here. They need to know that. They need to make that change. And we can think that that Word is above us. No, Lord, I, I, I want You to show me what I need to change in my life. Where I need to grow. You want to be a good employee at your workplace. It's the same thing. You, you want to know what changes. What do you need to do in order to be a blessing to that company? To be that best employee, that greatest, again, witness in that place. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. To grow in that grace and knowledge. Peter began and and ended his letter with that. That was his, his theme. He started there and he ended there. What was it again? To grow in that grace and knowledge. Of Jesus Christ you need to know him again John 173 is very clear this is eternal life knowing God speaking of God the Father and his son Jesus Christ knowing him intimately knowing what he would do in this circumstance there used to be a a thing where they wore bracelets, what would Jesus do? Unless you know him, you don't know what he would do. But in our society, we forgot what Jesus would do. But what would Jesus do? It's knowing him. You know a a husband hopefully knows his wife after many years. Our wife knows her, her, again, her husband after many years. They know how to minister to them, to love them, to care for them, to provide for them. But sadly, there's a joke. A man wrote a book. Maybe you heard about it. Everything I knew about my wife. Big book, by the way. Wow. You open the book up, it's all blank pages. But sadly, that's the reality. Sometimes a wife won't let her husband know and a husband won't let the wife know. How are we to grow in that relationship with each other? And it's the same with the Lord and spiritual sense. I need to know Him more and more and more. I need to know what grieves Him and hates Him. I, I said something to somebody one time. I, I hate this. Well, God would not what have you hate. Well, I want to hate what God hates. In the Bible it says God hates sin. God hates idolatry. He hates adultery because he knows what it will do to the family, to a society. Well, by pursuing Christian maturity, you're going to deepen your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's something else that advantage when that happens is you're going to have doctrinal stability. Well, why do you use that word doctrine? It means teaching you. What you learn about the Bible, it, it gives you this balance in life. You're not going to be tossed and turned of every wind of doctrine. It will prevent you from being led astray by the cults, those that might knock on your door. Hebrews 6.1 says this, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. And again, from cover to cover through the Bible is to grow, to mature, to become all that God would have you be. That's what a Christian is. Not a pew warmer, to grow. Hebrews, it talks about by now you ought to be teachers. He's not talking about, again, people in the pulpit, but, but you should be able to open the Word of God. And he goes on and say, but but you need milk. You're not ready for the bread, the meat. They were growing, they were excited, but, but they had backslidden in a sense. They need those basics all over. And that's what happens when you stay... Just upon the the water and the milk of the word, you need to move on to the bread, to the meat. God puts you in a place where you're discipling people, loving people, encouraging people, giving biblical guidance to people. Well, there's another thing I want to call your attention to. We we need is we we started to, to love more. I want to love my wife more. Now, when I look at Jesus Christ, I, I, I look at a failure if I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And I think every man here is probably the same. I need to grow in that love. But before I can grow it, I need to understand that love of who Jesus Christ and how He loves, and then I can love in that way because He pours His love into my heart. See, to supply what was lacking, the faith begins to realize that I need to love more. Actually, I think I should ask the question. I'm not going to make you. How many here need to love more? I need to love more. I think all of us really need to say that. Because none of us, again, have bribed completely. We need to grow in that love. See, knowledge without compassion produces spiritual snobbery. I've seen many people through the years that they come in and they know it all. they got all this... But... And they want to chop everyone's legs off. Where's the compassion? Where's the love? It's not condoning sin. It's acknowledging sin. That's what Jesus said to the woman who was caught in the midst of adultery. He says, Go and sin no more. Yeah, we we're gonna deal with sin. But man, it shouldn't be an albatross around someone else's life, around their neck. And I hold that albatross. See, love should be that thing. When people love that, and you're loving that person, go and send no more. That you you don't want to, you don't want to be in that situation. You know that people care about you, and, and you want to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And in fact, then you can begin and feel comfortable to reach out and say, "I need your support. I I, I need that accountability." You become that person safe, they can talk to. See, as we grow in that knowledge of God, we must grow in the love for all people. Not just here, all people. That means every one of those, there's a guy out there walking down the street out here. Love for him. I don't know him. It means we need to get out among the people. We need to love them. Now, all of us are going to be called to different places in the community and reach out, but we need to love all people. That means loving some, as we talked about before, unloving people. How many have unloving people in their life? Oh, yeah, all of us have that, don't we? We need to be loving. Look at verse 12 in our text, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in the love for one another. That's us here. That's the body of Christ, by the way, universal. It's like, we're to love the Baptists, so the Baptists are to love us, and the Methodists, and the Nazarenes. Yeah. And love, even those in the cults. It doesn't mean condone. Love will tell them the truth, and tell them lovingly and kindly we'll be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within, because we've been growing in the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ, we know the Word of God, and we can share doctrinally with them in a loving way, and not preach at them, and not beat it over their head, but speak to them as one who cares. Read a lot of Orin Worsby this week, I liked some of the things that he said this week, and, and he wrote, and I I love this one especially because he said when he counsels when he counsels young couples are gonna get married, he looks at the the young man and he says let me think how he worded it again. If you married if, if your wife became paralyzed three weeks after you are married. Do you love her enough to stay with her and care for her the rest of her life? Wow. A lot of people would be busted, wouldn't they? Because lust and love get confused. The so love is that commitment. We say it in a marriage for better or worse. But Lord, I didn't mean that if this happened. No, no, no. For better or worse. By the way, God set His love upon you. He loves you for better or worse. And I don't think it's always the better all the time in our lives. And His love never changes for you, for me. But we have that habit of changing our love toward others, don't we? See, true love deepens in times of difficulty. The shallow romance disappears when difficulties appear. You've seen it. I've seen it. Maybe you've even experienced it. What's this kind of love that 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 early church had? The Christians were willing to give up their own property and everything so everyone would have needs. It was a sacrificial love. That was the love that we were to grow in. They were selling the properties. They were feeding the poor. In fact, in Acts 4, verse 32, notice what it says. The congregation of those who believed were one heart, one soul. Not one of them claimed anything belonging to him it was his own. But all things were in common property to all of them. And again, look at that verse. It says they were one heart, one soul. What? In Jesus Christ. Everything that you have in your life is his. Your vehicle out there, well, it may be the bank and his. But it's his. You're just entrusted with it. See, it's our care for the helpless, uh, the practical loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of an unbelieving world. True Christian love, though, is again, as I mentioned, is not just love for one another. He he says you they'll know the world will know you by their love for one another, but it's to love them when they're unloving. There was a guy out here I talked to, a homeless guy, and and he went down the street cussing and blankety blankety blank at me, and and I'm supposed to love him. And I go, Lord, help me love him. Help me want the best for him. Help me to know if there's something I could say now. But that's not our first thought, is it? I'm getting better where I just, you know, he doesn't know where he's at. He's blinded by the God of this world. And see, God begins changing our hearts. And, and then we find a way that then we can sit down and we can talk to them to redirect that conversation and, and bring it to Jesus Christ. Yet he has to make his own own decisions. It's really difficult to grow in this kind of love, let me tell you. I I really don't need to tell you that, actually, do I? Because we all know and this is the love he calls us to. And yet it was demonstrated in, in the life of Jesus time and time and time again. This, this is our example. This is a, what we need to look at is Jesus. And especially in, in John chapter 4 and verses 3 through 6. Let me read and we'll talk about it. And, and he left referring to Jesus, Judea, and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria. Or, called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus began, or being wearied from the journey, was sitting thus at the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now the the thing I want to call another text, and I don't remember which one it was, it says Jesus needed or must go through Samaria. The Jews didn't typically do it. They would go around either the coastal route or they would go, again down the Jordan, and they would go up through Galilee and come around. They didn't go through Samaria because they were Hapa Jews. They had compromised the word of God as, as they felt, and they weren't following the, the man-made traditions. They worshipped in a different place. They worshipped in a, in a different way. So when Jesus said he must go through or he needed to go through, he knew there was a woman there, and Jesus may have you and me go through a place that you and I may have, or would have thought we would go through. Now, what's amazing is Jesus is in Samaria. And what's amazing, he's speaking to a Samaritan because the Jews just didn't do that thing in that time. But Jesus did. What's even more amazing, forgive me, women, he talked to a woman. A Samaritan woman. Oh, I'm not done. Many would call her a bad Samaritan woman at that because she committed adultery and had many husbands or really lived with many men. But Jesus talked to her. Oh, it didn't start with the talk. It started with love. Jesus loved her. He talked to her. He desired to meet The deepest need. That's what love does. Desire to meet that deepest need. Now, it's going to show up differently in in every one of our lives because we have a different personality. But he knew what her need. In fact, he was God. God in the flesh. So he wanted to meet that deepest need. And what that deepest need was to bring her into a relationship with God. Oh, it doesn't stop there. He used her. Boy, when God uses you, it is a good use because you don't feel dirty like the world when it uses you. How did he use her, though? It was interesting to witness to a city. She goes back and tells everyone the hills are coming down. The people are coming to hear this man. She says, everything, he knows everything I did. God knows everything you did and everything you will do. And he loves you. And sometimes that's all a person needs to know that God can love them where they're at. They already know their background. They know that they're sinners. Well, it's this kind of radical love that Jesus has that we are to have. Remember those days the Jesus freaks it was this love that they were branded in. They loved everybody, old and young. It's the same love you and I are to love with. And and that is not hard in one sense because God has poured his love into your hearts. We're going to see this in a little later, not today, when he pours his love out. We don't need to be taught by anyone else your wife doesn't need to teach you your husband doesn't Jesus teaches you himself when you come to him and you recognize it what do you think are we missing this dimension of this this radical love that Jesus has hmm are we missing this radical dimension So the question really arises, if you don't know how to answer that, have we become more like the Pharisees than Jesus? See, if we're not willing to radically go out and love this world, maybe we become like those Pharisees. Well, God doesn't want to be close to them. See, the Pharisees rejected those who weren't the same kind as them. But Jesus reached out to them. The Pharisees, well, they were cynical and hypocritical and condescending. They're more concerned about their own man made traditions. Jesus, on the other hand, was full of compassion. His desire was to bring them into the truth, bring them into a relationship with God. The Pharisees were limited to those who would love, but Jesus loved everyone. For God so loved the world. Jesus loved everyone. There's one more thing, and I'll move quickly on this, is we need to do more. Well, what do you mean do more? I'm already, my schedule's full. But just learning more and loving more is not enough. Again, the, 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 the phrase was to just supply what's lacking in our faith. It, it, it means we need to do more. It means if we really have this right theology we're talking about, that, that knowing who God is, and our emotions will move us to a place of availability. Oh, yes, it will move us to a place of availability if you really know God. Let me give you my final illustration on this, and it really goes to the book of Isaiah. Perhaps you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is in the temple. There's a a crowd of worshipers around him, if you remember. And all of a sudden, the temple, the the presence of God is filling this place up. And Isaiah looks up and he sees the Lord high and and, and lifted up. And this is so important. He's he's overwhelmed with this this sense of sinfulness in the the presence of God. And I think that's how we're all going to React when we see Him. And Isaiah falls on his face and he cries out in anguish, woe to me. He cries, for I am undone. And God responds to Isaiah, to Isaiah's anguish with this, this grace, forgiveness for your sins, the cleansing of your life, and, and really the preparation for ministry. That's God wants to prepare you for ministry in some capacity. And He says, whom shall I sin? God asks. Who will go for me? Here I am, Isaiah responds. Send me. Isaiah called to, to, to be God's witness. You are too, and I am. The proclaimer of God's truth to all the people. And then the question Isaiah comes from Isaiah and it says, How long, Lord, will I have to do this? How long does this commission last? Think about that. And God's answer. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And He answers, Until the cities lie in ruin, without inhabitant; until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away in the land, is utterly forsaken. Do you understand God's answer? For as long as people are alive, they need to know the truth. As long as you're alive, they need to know the truth. We need to be faithfully witnessing we need not only grow ourselves, but also participate in God's kingdom. or stewardship. The opportunities, the people that he's brought into our life to share with them. See, when we become Christians, Christ is present. He's in, he's in our hearts. He's in our lives. But that's only the beginning. It's only where it starts, the the beginning process. As we begin to grow, He he becomes prominent in our life. He's the main thing. But not even just prominent. When you grow in the love and grace of Jesus Christ, He comes preeminent. Before every relationship, before everything else in this life. That's the ultimate destination. When we seek the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, it happens when you make Him preeminent in your life. This is what was lacking in their life. Oh, they were growing. They were maturing. He was the main thing in their life. But like us, he needed to be preeminent before all things in this life. Because they would face more trials, more persecution, more struggles. And you and I will too. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you how practical it is. It really tells us all the things that we need to know. What is right? What is wrong? How to get right? How to stay right? How can we please you? And how can we reach this world? Lord, it is our desire that knowing that you are present in our lives, we want you to be prominent, the main thing. And we want you to be preeminent and lord we we say lord nevertheless your will not ours that is our prayer to come to you with a surrendered life and all God's people said amen